Are we recording right now? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> fun. Okay. This voice is Hannah. And this voice is Marissa. Also, would probably am, is, are turned on by it. Hearts Lohowski? Yeah. Of course. Doesn't actually no. make a ton of sense. No. What are you doing? Are you talking to yourself? <gasps> oh my god, I already hate this story. You know what? I'm okay with that. Because I just thought you could like bleed suddenly yeah. at any given moment. <laughs> my erotic fan fiction isn't fucking interesting enough for you. Hello, you're listening to Tell Us More Podcast. It's lovely to have good. Oh, I pressed record. Round my heart, just covered in diamonds. We don't have the money Gotta for the royalties. Down. You have to stop. <laughs> this is the Two Souls on Fire by BB Rex and, and um, Quavo. Who we did last week. Yep, that was. That was a week ago. A whole week ago. That was a whole. About a week ago. Who sang that? Was that Migos? No, that wasn't Migos. I don't know what song you're talking about. About a week ago. Yeah, you said that part. <laughs> <laughs> was it. Was that. Ray Shrimmerd? I don't know. I'm gonna Google. Ear drummers. Wait, what did I say? Oh yeah, Two about the one that does this really bad dance. The uh. Vin S E G. I sound like a really racist substitute teacher. It's probably not. I have no idea. Oh, so Never many unsubscribers. Of All of the fans just unsubscribed. Um. He's the one that does. Um, about a month ago. Next time my doctor asked me when How long I, has it been sex? But no, no, not Shut up! Okay. <laughs> when my doctor asked me how long it's been since my last period. About, About a month ago! ago. When's go. the last time I had sex? About, About a month ago. About a year ago. Oh well, that no. was true for me for a very long time, and then I stopped doing that. Stopped and not having sex. Started doing it. I technically had sex in 2019. With yourself? No, not with myself. <laughs> Commentary from the peanut audience with yourself. The peanut gallery. Peanut gallery. Peanut audience. We just went grocery shopping. I like to put on a show for my whole pantry. Okay. So someone tweeted and said, two women and one man is a threesome, but two men and one woman isn't. And then someone else tweeted, it's only a threesome if everyone is involved with one with one another. If they're just fucking you and not touching each other, choo-choo. You get in good, no, not gangbanged, and that's probably a bad thing to say. You run in a train on yeah, you, bitch. Yeah, it's not a bitch. I can see that. But, like, I kind of understand. You're but didn't she have a threesome? She had a threesome. They're just running a train on her. She's having sex with two people. Oh, that's an interesting. Is one person then having a threesome? I feel like and the then the other, have, or whoever or is the no, bottom. Or, no, then she would just have a train ran on her. I think that's when they do it consecutively, not, like, not a penis in one's butt and then a penis and then the vagina. But I still think he's, <laughs> man one is running a train and man two is <laughs> running a train. I, th- I, and then she's having a threesome. Because she's fucking this They're guy, running a train on guy. them. Oh, wow. I think that, I think, <laughs> I think it is a threesome for her, but it is also having a train ridden on her. This is honestly... I think it's a square and a rectangle situation. Oh. That, you provided a compelling argument. Thank you. I think that was an interesting I feel a like fun little argument. Asking, or not argument, I, I feel like asking somebody Woo! if they want to have a threesome is a, a lot more elegant than asking a girl if she May wants a train ran train on her. <laughs> okay, when they said small. That's May small. I fuck you in the ass while my friend fucks you in the mouth? Yes. I think that's a very polite way. No, to then that's an Eiffel Tower. Oh, what's getting a train run on? I think it's it's just one guy and then he's done and then another girl. That's and then, a gang gang. Th- no, 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 I think there has to be more members. Okay, 
Anyway. These are getting to some complex questions. <laughs> Listeners, let us... Sorry, Mom. Let us know. Hey, Liz might know. No! That doesn't mean she's... Because of... She's done it. Ew. Double Liz, if you have... Girl, more power to you. Having a shake's kind of like sucking a dick. Because... <laughs> Got to do it kind of hard. Mm-hmm. How hard do you suck this? <laughs> Actually, now that I agreed. You want prime suction power. Right. Without pain, unless that's their thing. I'm talking about my mouth. I'm literally picturing you being like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant in, in terms of gripping. You don't want loose lips. When you're given a bead, you're good. You want, you want, what are you, what are you, you have yeah. to tighten your arm or something. Yes. It's a clarinet phrase, or that's a band phrase. Mm. Doc, the band director in high school, told me I needed to, I needed to tighten my embouchure, and I went, excuse me, what? <laughs> he was like, your embouchure. And I was like, we both. That's not, a, that's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, but it's the muscles around your mouth. I feel like we've had this conversation before, but do you, like, remember giving your first blowjob? You've never asked me that. I haven't? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think about it a lot. Cause, like, um, I don't remember the actual... I remember being really scared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally just, like, I don't know why. I just, my brain went to a bad place. I remember being really scared in a dark room. I couldn't find no, anyone else. Because we didn't talk about me doing it. It was just out, yeah, you know? 17. <laughs> and Which, a virgin. Okay. And I was given a handsy, and then I was like, I feel like I should progress. Mm -hmm. And I remember being scared, being like, I don't know what I'm doing. But it was your decision. Yeah, I didn't say anything out loud. I just, like, I kept, I remember, like, <clears throat> making out with him, moving my hand, and being like, I should do it. I should just go down there and do it. But I was so nervous, and then, like, eventually I did, and we were in his living room, and his parents were out of town. But he, they said they had cameras, and so I was a little nervous, because I was like, what if they're not bluffing? <clears throat> And they're just seeing their son get a blowjob on camera. Um, that's child porn. That's illegal. That's on them. It is. What episode is it? It is season two, episode 17. Which is odd. Which means it's go time for me. It's time for my story. Okay. Oh, oh fuck. Is your story sad? Okay. Nah. No, that's fine. Yeah, it's I mean, fine. It doesn't matter. I have two, I have two options, so neither, we'll see where this goes. Neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> Story sad, you know, it's really uh, it's uh, impartial. And I don't, we don't really, this, this story has no feeling. It's, I, I'm ready. Well, here we go. Picture it San Jose, California, a five million dollar mansion spanning across 160 acres, an eight room home, modern for its time, with heating and sewage throughout the home. I literally just wanted to ask you if this was your ex boyfriend's house. <laughs> Continue. I'm I'm creeped out, but I feel like it's gonna go somewhere because um, it's a story. It had three working elevators, forty-seven fireplaces, and lighting throughout the house until 1884. But first, let's take a step back. What the fuck? <laughs> Is this a real estate move? Are you trying to sell me this house? <laughs> yeah. I've been playing the long con. I love it. <clears throat> William. <laughs> William. Oi, William. <laughs> Is that in this episode? No, that was the end of the old episode. Oi! <laughs> Oi, William! Oi. We 
Winchester. Was the heir to the Winchester? <gasps> is this the Winchester house? Yeah. <gasps> okay, I love this. Heir... I don't know. I don't know enough about this. I'm really excited. Sorry. Go. Heir to the Winchester fortune, aka the guns. Mm -hmm. But William died of tuberculosis, so this story is about his wife Sarah. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> William. Moving on. Fifteen years before William died, Sarah's baby died from protein deficiency at one month old. When her husband died, she went insane. Okay. <clears throat> she didn't know what to do. Okay. Very sad. I would be too. I would probably do this shit that she's about to do. Uh, she went to see a spirit medium who oh. told her her loved ones didn't die of disease, but by the spirits of the people who were killed by the Winchester. They also put a curse on Sarah. They vowed to terrorize her until the day she died. She needed to pay for inventing the rifle, even though she didn't fucking invent it. <clears throat> her husband did. So, God, yeah, clearly. Actually, it was, no, it was her husband's father. So, her father-in-law invented Winchester rifles. And granted, like, he's dead, William's dead, the baby's dead. But, like, she didn't invent them. She's married right. into it. So, she it's kind of like, like, fuck you. I mean, I guess they were like, yeah, that was inconsiderate. Sorry <laughs> she fell in love. Fuck mm -hmm. off. These ghosts are so petty. I'm so... Ready for love? Or no? What? <laughs> I was about to say I'm so ready for love, but I don't, no, I don't think so. My therapist kept asking me if I'm sure I'm ready to date. The last time I saw her, and I was like, Ah, Sarah, you know I'm not. <laughs> don't we? Don't we need practice in order to get better? And she was like, Ah. Anyway, so she's being terrorized by the ghosts. <clears throat> That's funny because your name, your therapist's name is Sarah. And so is my roommate. Uh -huh. And they're both terrorized by ghosts. Oh my god, the Winchester ghosts. They hate people named Sarah. That's the real issue. Yep. The spiritualist told her to buy a house and continue to build it day and night exactly the way the spirits told her, spirits told her to. That's really random, so I feel like she was just fucking with her. So maybe she knew someone killed by the Winchester rifle and she was like, I can't wait to fuck this bitch's life up. Maybe. If so. What a long con. This was in of. Boston. Wait, I thought she lived in San Jose. She moved. Marissa's sipping on her <laughs> clearly gone malt, by the way. She moved to Boston? She went to Boston. Okay. To see the spiritualist. They didn't have spiritualist? Spiritual? Spanish? They didn't have those in California? Uh, you would think they would nowadays. Nowadays. But, uh, no, I think maybe she lived in Boston. Okay. And then moved to San Jose. Anyway. <clears throat> but, oh, I said, um, it was the 1800s. People died a lot. Oh, my God. People died from tuberculosis a lot. Yeah. So did babies. But, yeah, this bitch was convinced she had a curse on her. Yeah. Well, the girl tells herself. I would tell myself I had a curse. I have told myself I have a curse. I said that. She didn't tell herself. <clears throat> that bitch told her. But, like, I would believe it because oh. I think my last name is cursed. Okay. Very unlucky in love. The the people are of the that were killed by the Malahowskis in the past life. No, I think I'm just cursed. Okay. Um, I have sage though, so. Mm-hmm. She bought the mansion mentioned above mm -hmm. using twenty the twenty million she inherited. She hired eighteen to twenty staff, twenty two carpenters, and eight gardeners. They were to work on the house 24-7, 365. This construction lasted 38 years. Mm -hmm. 84, 1884 to 1922. The house spread to 160 rooms, including doorways that go nowhere, staircases to nowhere, ending at a ceiling on purpose, a switchback staircase that turns seven times and has 44 steps, a useless chimney, four stories. <laughs> it, it climbs four stories. It stops. Four stories. <laughs> it climbs. 
four stories and then stops right before it hits the ceiling. There are many doors and balconies. There is even a window built into the floor, which now we have stuff like, but... There are many doors and windows? <clears throat> or balconies? Mm-hmm. Okay, I wasn't sure if you said many or many. Probably many. both, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The number 13 comes up a lot. There are 13 bathrooms with 13 windows. The grand staircase has 13 steps, and there are 13 pantries, and there's even 13 drain holes in one sink. I'm guessing just because of the lucky number 13 thing. Imagine that you, like, signed on to work as staff in this house. Like, you did not know what the fuck you were getting into. Yeah, you just needed a job. Right, and you're like, all right, well, crazy mess. What's her fuck? Everybody's so bad at it again. of tuberculosis. Okay. Um. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um. No one even knows the true value of the house today. There was um, a special seance room, and she would go into her seance room every night at midnight. Ew. She rang a bell to summon the ghosts, and they would meet for two hours. <laughs> Strict two-hour schedule. Ghost assembly. We have an assembly. Stop meeting. Stop meeting. The ghoulish ones. <laughs> All the dead ones. That means you, on. Lester. Um, that was a mon- monster's family. Monsters? The monsters? Oh, monsters. No. no, I'm thinking of a lurch. Did I say Lester? Yeah. Because I think I'm thinking of Lurch from the Adams family. I was going to say Lurch's Adams family. Lester, I don't know, but I don't know the <laughs> monsters that well. So. Lester! I don't know him. I also thought you were, when you said monster family, <laughs> I geez. thought you meant monster family, and then I thought you meant Foster's Home for Imaginary <laughs> Friends. That would be a way to connect my thinking, Ooh. but not this time. I try. Sometimes I get there. Sometimes we don't. Yeah, so then at 2 a.m. she rings the bell. They get out. She goes to bed. <coughs> they clock and, out. Yep, they clock out. And that's how she knew what the ghosts wanted her to build. She would she would have her seance, and I guess they would give her floor plans. This seems, I mean, is no one <clears throat> checking on her? Like, she's not having any other family? I guess not. I watched the... I watched a documentary, but this one was free. Okay. And in it, the the documentary that I clicked on, I guess, was brought to you by, like, a Bible pasture company. The fuck? And uh, I didn't know that until, tw- like, 20 minutes in, so Wait. it gets a little uh, Jesus-y after this. What the fuck is a Bible pasture? <laughs> like, a pasture full of Bibles? No, past- pastor, as in a pr- man who preaches the word of God. The show is brought to you by a pastor. Okay, got yeah. it. A Bible pastor. <laughs> a pastor. You just Bible. met a pastor. Got so, it. Someone photoshopped that. Photoshop that. Um, so he said she she opened a Pandora's box. She became a slave to paranormal forces she didn't fully understand. Something like that. <laughs> that was him. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought maybe it was a ghost. I thought maybe it was Lester. And the ghost of Lester. Um, see, he also said the dead don't come back to haunt us. In Ecclesiastes okay. 9.6, also their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. It, so he said, though, he didn't think it was her imagination. thought it was the devil. It was the devil. He said people, things were telling her to do that that's now southern he's now <laughs> he was british before now that he's quoted the bible he's southern he is southern uh every church in the world delivers their message in a southern accent even yeah in italy it seems right the pope um 
the Pope walks up to the like podium and is like, Hey y'all, today we're going to talk about Jesus. The book Leviticus, please open your pages to Leviticus. And this fucking hat on. Please, seven. <laughs> the Okay. Please don't kill me. So much unsubscribing. She just said that to God. (laughs) Not to me. So the house was worked on nonstop until the day she died. Some say spots in the house had nails pounded halfway in because they quit as soon as they heard the news. They just skedaddled. They got out of there. Well, yeah. What a bad work environment. So they they do tours of the house. Mm -hmm. I typed in real people experiences and I got this off a website. (laughs) so official and accurate no i believe you that these are real people but just the way you said that so it's from these are uh, off of a website's what got me from in online these are from the web um dozens of psychics have visited the house over the years and most have come away convinced or claimed to be convinced that spirits still wander the place in addition to the ghost of Sarah Winchester, there have also been many other sightings throughout the years. Oh, now Sarah haunts the house, too. Yeah, so clearly the curse uh, was wrong because she was supposed they were supposed to haunt her till the day she died, not be trapped there for eternal life, so there's a flaw. Well, you know, the devil. So there's that small writing. Devil went down to Georgia, and there's always a fish footnote to read. Did you just say there's a... Oh, a footnote to read. You said fish first, I almost and said I went, a fish. fish foot? There's always a fish there foot. Always an adde- there's always an addendum in my will. That got too hip-hoppy. There's an addendum in my will. Here's another. I don't know what it is now, but it's like a, bo- a bop. Um, <clears throat> here's another one. In the years... That the house has been open to the public. Employees and visitors alike have had unusual encounters here. There have been footsteps, banging doors, mysterious voices, windows that bang so hard they shatter, cold spots, strange moving lights, doorknobs that turn by themselves, and, don't forget, the scores of psychics who have their own claims of phenomena to report. There is a movie called Winchester. It stars Helen Mirren. It came out last February twenty February 2nd, 2018. I, I saw there was an ad for it. On YouTube, Saw that. and I thought it came out in 2019, and I was gonna say Winchester with starring Helen Mirren comes out on February 2nd. I know what I'm doing for Valentine's Day. Not sponsored, but it was last year. <laughs> but it was last year. <laughs> I know what I'm still doing for Valentine's Day. It's kind of a tradition. <laughs> Just always watch the Winchester House. All right, well that uh, wraps it up. I love that. Cool. That was awesome. I want to know. I want to see this house, kind of. Same. I want to go to hand him. <laughs> <laughs> Same, I want to go to San Jose. Same, I want to go to San Jose. <laughs> now you're like uh, Swedish. I heard I want to go to San Jose. Oh my god, dude, you know what would be so funny? I thought you were trying to be Swedish. I thought that was trying to be a Swedish accent. What? No, what's the funny? Fever. The professor. The fever. No, we were the professor and Beaker for Halloween. Oh my god. From the Muppets. <laughs> yes, that's right, Beaker. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I just know Beaker's name. Because I can make my mouth do this. Which looks like his lips. The costume is a sign, man. You can paint yourself green. I'll put a bald cap on. <laughs> the professor is green. 
No, I don't think so. I think I'm right about this one. Fingers like pink and orange. Oh, wait. No, you're right. You can bait yourself. Oh, wait. I'll put a ball Dude, dude. Oh, my God. I just got this right now. What? Dude, his name is Bunsen. Like Bunsen Burner and a beaker. Oh, my God. It's not the professor. What the fuck? I created a new Muppet. The professor. It's an owl. Oh, the professor. Now you were saying Bunsen. No. Like, we need to stop talking because this is just wrong. This would have been a discussion for that one date I went on that one time. Where the guy, the guy only wanted to talk about Muppets. Muppets? Oh my god. And I have an idea. Okay. Let's make an international racist day. But on that day, if you're racist... Everybody gets to beat the shit out of you, and you can't fight back. If you're gonna be racist, you should at least give one per a lot of people the opportunity to beat the shit out of you at least once a year. Yeah, but racists wouldn't agree to that. No, uh, and like to I get it passed as a law. Okay, and uh, all of the racists are in law enforcement, are the lawmakers. Well, both. not all of them. But I like the idea of beating up racists, yeah. your local Nazi, all that stuff. Yeah, I think that we should just be like, you know what? You guys are dicks. We're still going to try to change your mind. But if you're a racist, we're going to beat the shit out of you. Exactly. I think that's valid. <clears throat> yeah. Kind of actually goes well with my story. Sweet! Um, <laughs> I just thought of that. Daisy Lee Gatson Bates was born on November 11th, 1914. She grew up in a southern Arkansas. Is this Kathy Bates? No. Oh, okay. I'm unsure of how that would have to do with racism. I would have to look more into Kathy Bates and her <laughs> history, but no. Maybe she was a Nazi fighter. She could. <laughs> I mean, she's not that old. Okay. And then, like, even after that. Kathy Bates, she could. No. Daisy Lee Gatson Bates is not Kathy Bates. She grew up in southern Arkansas in a small sawmill town of Huddick. She was born in a shotgun house, which I was like, what the fuck is that? A shotgun house is a narrow, rectangular domestic residence, usually no more than about 12 feet wide. Trailer. With rooms arranged one behind the other and doors at each end of the house. It's not a trailer. I actually looked up, like, a picture of it, but that is, like, probably the modern equivalent of it. Um, it was, they were bigger back in, like, World War One times. It, well, she was born in 1914. So, a like, bunker. Yeah. No. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> um, ba 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 she was born to her biological mother and father, Hezekiah Gatson and Millie Riley. Heze I think it's Hezekiah, actually. Hezekiah Gatson supported the family by working as a lumber grader in a local mill. After the murder of her biological mother, Daisy was handed off to Gatson's close friends, Orly Smith, mm -hmm. a World War My wife is dead. Take my baby. Pretty much. I'm I a man, and I can't handle doing it. I guess. I'm That's a man. Okay. Can't be a single dad. Okay. <laughs> I'm not really sure why that happened, but it literally never explains, like, why she never lived with her dad, but, um, so, her mother's murdered. She goes to live with Orly Smith, a World War I veteran, and Susie Smith. Daisy never saw her biological father after that. Um, in the death of my mother, Bates recounted learning at eight years old of her birth mother first being raped, then murdered mm -hmm. by three local white men. Her biological mother was then dropped in a mill pond when Daisy was only a few months old. Learning of her mother's death and knowing that nothing was ever done about it fueled her anger. Her adoptive father, Orly Smith, told her that the killers were never found due to a lack of devotion to the case from the police. This released a desire for vengeance inside Daisy. 
Um, this is a quote from her. My life now had a secret goal, to find the men who had done this horrible thing to my mother. This new mission allowed her to actually find one of her mother's killers. At a commissary, she stumbled upon a gaze from a young white man that would later imply that he was involved. After this interaction, Daisy would go there often to belittle the drunken man with just her eyes. The young man's guilt would later force him to plead, da plead with Daisy, in the name of God, please leave me alone. Whoa! Yep. That was, And that's what the killer said mm -hmm. to her? Mm -hmm. Because she stared at him? Yeah, because she would just go and stare at him like a badass. Oh, shit, if that's all we have to do to get things done, right? Ladies. Stare on. I've got an idea for the next cabinet meeting. The young man, okay, so the young man's goat would later force him in the name of God, please leave me alone. This ended once he drank himself to death and was found in an alleyway. Fucking good. <laughs> I literally was like, this bitch stared at him. She stared at him to until death. Until he fucking killed himself. God. I the power of women's gaze. The power, hell, hell, no, fury, like a woman who is trying to avenge her mother. Right. Scorn. The understanding of her current societal norms dominated her actions as she began to hate white people. Out of concern and hope, on his deathbed, her adoptive father gave her some advice. You are filled with hatred, and hate can destroy you, Daisy. Don't hate white people just because they're white. If you hate, make it count for something. Hate the humiliations that we are living under in the South. Hate the discrimination that eats away at the South. Hate the discrimination that eats away at the soul of every black man and woman. Hate the insults hurled at us by white scum and then try to do something about it, or your hate won't spell a thing. Solid advice. Yeah. On his deathbed, no less. Mm. Like, wow. Wait, was that, that was her, no, not. That was her adoptive father. Okay, I was gonna was say. basically, like, the real dad. Um, he's the one that her, her biological father just handed her off to. Okay, so here's the thing. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right, but it makes more sense if she was a baby. I thought you said when she was eight, her mother died, and her dad handed her off to them. But if her mother died shortly after her birth... Uh, yeah, no, I, I never said she was eight. But, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guess I'm thinking about the number eight. Uh, oh, okay, in the death... When she was eight years old, she discovered oh. that the birth of her... Or the death of her birth mother was due to okay. being raped, and yes. Yeah, I, I misinterpreted that as her mom died when she was eight, yes. and her dad just handed her off. Less fucked up, but still fucked up. Yes, yes. But the nice thing is that her dad, her adoptive dad, she was super, super close with. That's good. So. Bates said she never forgot that, and it is from this memory that Bates claimed her strength for leadership came. Bates' childhood included the attendance to Huddig segregated public schools, where she learned firsthand the poor conditions to which black students were exposed. Orly Smith died when Bates was a teenager, leaving her with her mother. Daisy deeply appreciated her father, leading to her own assumption that she married her husband because she sh he shared similar qualities with her father. I think that's fucking weird. Yes, but that's because you don't have a good relationship with your dad. Still wouldn't want to date my dad. It's not that you do. <laughs> it's not that you date your dad, but as you're growing up, your dad is supposed to be like a good example of how men should treat women and the world in general. So when you have a fucked up relationship, when your dad doesn't put in the effort, yes. Therefore, giving you a fucked up relationship, yes. Clearly, you should not do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Like I get it, but I it know. still sounds weird. I married he married well, me like and my Freud, It's like Freudian. It's yeah, like the boys want to marry their moms, and girls want to marry their dads, and whatever. Ooh, Freud's discredited. No, it what has is? nothing to do with Trixie and Katya's show. Oh. Uh. Uh. 
Okay, go on. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I get it, it's weird, but. Bates had great adulation for the man who she couldn't remember a time when this man I called my father didn't talk to me almost as if I were an adult. So basically she has this great relationship with her dad because he always talked to her like a grown-up. Or like treated her like a grown-up. In contrast to their relationship, Daisy had an austere relationship with her mother. Susie Smith would punish Daisy and often clobbered, tamed, switched, and made to stand in the corner. Oh. Even after the death of Orly Smith, the two had a falling out. Wrong parent died. Yeah. Oh. Ouch, but yeah. Well. Um, Daisy was 25 when she started dating Lucius Christopher Bates, an insurance salesman who had also worked on newspapers in the South and West. Daisy was only 13 years old when they first met, and Lucius still married to Cassandra Crawford. I'm Cassandra. Okay. <laughs> Lucius divorces. Your husband's going to divorce you for a 13-year-old. <laughs> I could probably do. It's me. Uh, you can make it a joke. That's all I'm dating for. Um, Lucius divorced his first wife in 1941 before moving to Little Rock and starting the Arkansas State Press. After dating for several months, Daisy and Elsie Bates married on March 4th, 1942. In 1952, Daisy Bates was elected president of the Arkansas Conference for the NAACP Branches. After they moved to Little, after their move to Little Rock, the Bateses decided to act on a dream of theirs, the ownership of a newspaper. They leased a printing plant that belonged to the church publication and started the Arkansas State Press statewide newspaper. The first issue appeared on May, I wrote Mary, on May 9th, 1941. The Arkansas State Press was primarily concerned with advocacy journalism and was modeled off of other African-American publications of the era, such as Chicago Defender and The Crisis. Stories about civil rights often ran on the front page, with the rest of the paper mainly filled with other stories that spotlighted achievements of black Arkansans. Arkansans? Sure. Okay. The paper became an avid voice for civil rights even before the nationally recognized movement had emerged. Daisy Bates was later recognized as the co-publisher of the paper. As the former president of the Arkansas State Conference of the NAACP, Bates was involved deeply in desegregated desegregation events. Even though in 1954 the United States Supreme Court decision in Brown versus the Board of Education made all the segregated schools illegal, the schools in Arkansas refused to enroll African American students. Arkansas is garbage. Well, it still is. Yep. Hasn't uh, changed much, if at all. The state press became a fervent supporter of the NAACP's integrated public school events. The state press editorialized, we feel that the proper approach would be for leaders among the Negro race, not clabbermouths, not sure what those are, Uncle Toms, or grinning appeasers to get together and counsel with the school heads. So, basically they're calling for leaders um, among the people who are just, like, talking for their race, not, like, trying to, the Uncle Tom comment makes me think, trying to, like, align with the white people, but whatever. Um, yeah. Have you read Uncle Tom? Uncle Tom's Cabin? Yeah. Okay, I thought we were talking about Uncle Sam. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I didn't get it. Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Concerning the policy of academic desegregation, the state press cultivated a spirit of immediatism within the hearts of African American and white citizens. Opposite to the gradual approach, this newspaper mainly wanted immediate reform in the Arkansas educational system. The Arkansas State Press reported that the NAACP was the lead organizer in these protest events, and the newspaper also tended to enlarge national influence to let more people get involved in the educational events in Little Rock. 
while Governor Orville Faubus, which is mm. the weirdest name I've ever seen in a real person, Orville, Orville. Faubus, Faub, from sheep. Yep. And his supporters were refusing even token desegregation of Central High School. This editorial appeared in the front page. So they're talking about Governor Orville Faubus in this quote, uh, and it it says, It is the belief of this paper that since Orville's loyalty to America has forced him to shed blood on foreign battlefields against enemies, to safeguard constitutional rights, he is in no mood to sacrifice these rights for peace and harmony at home. So basically they were saying, like, his allegiance lies with the country and not necessarily, like, the people. Okay. Where he's the governor of in Little Rock. He's the governor of the people. Right, but he sucks and won't let... He's he's the one that's against desegregation. Throughout its existence, the Arkansas State Press covered all social news happening within the state. It was an avid supporter of racial integration in schools and thoroughly publicized its support in its pages. In 1957, because of this... Because of its strong position during the Little Rock segregation crisis, white advertisers held another boycott to punish the newspaper for supporting desegregation. This boycott successfully cut off funding except the money that came directly and through advertisements from the NAACP national office and through ads from supporters throughout the country. Despite this, the state press was unable to maintain itself and the last issue was published on October 29, 1959. So, I mean, it, la- it lasted. It, yeah, it lasted. And I did like that there were, like, supporters from around the country, like, just donating money to this newspaper so that they could keep going, but... As with everything, we suck. Um, Miss Daisy Bates immediately joined the local branch of the NAACP upon moving to Little Rock. In an interview, she explains her history with the organization and that all her dreams were tied with this organization. Her father was a member of the NAACP many years before, and she recounts asking him why he joined. She said her father would bring her back literature to read, and after learning of their goals, she decided to dedicate herself to. In the same interview, when asked what she and the organization were focused on changing, Bates responded, the whole darn system. However, it was after the Brown vs. Board of Education decision that she finally began to focus mostly on education. Bates became president of the Arkansas Conference of Branches in 1952 at the age of 38. She remained active and was on the national board of the NAACP until 1970, and due to her position in the NAACP, Bates' personal life was threatened much of the time. In her autobiography, Bates discussed her life as a president of the NAACP in Arkansas. She said, as president of the NAACP State Conference of Branches and as the publicized leader of the integration movement in Arkansas, I was singled out for special treatment. Two flaming crosses were burned on our property. The first, a six-foot gasoline-soaked structure, was stuck to our front lawn just after dusk, and at the base of the cross was scrawled, Go Back to Africa, KKK. Okay. The second cross was placed against the front of our house, lit, and the flames began to catch. Fortunately, the fire was discovered by a neighbor, and we extinguished it before any serious damage had been done. Little Rock Integration Crisis. So this is one of the, like, biggest things that she's done, and she's, not a lot of people know about her. Yeah. Like, know I, specifically about her. I it, thought there was going to be a big reveal, and you'd be like, it's this sexual person. No, it's not Kathy Bates. <laughs> no, I knew it. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, no, she's literally, I searched um, Unsung Heroes of the Past. Okay. And then I kind of, I went through, like, a bunch of random people, and then I found her on... I think it was the, like, African American Society Library or something that I found these articles. The plan for desegregating the schools of Little Rock was to be implemented in three phases, starting first with the senior and junior high schools, and then only after the successful integration of senior and junior high schools would the elementary schools be integrated. That's fine. 
After two years and still no progress, a suit was filed against the Little Rock School District in 1956. The court ordered the school board to integrate the schools as of September 1957. The battle for the soul of Little Rock has indeed begun, and Bates entered vigorously. That was a quote that I could not find the, the source. source of. Okay. Um, realizing, her yep, realizing her intense involvement and dedication to education and school integration, Daisy was the chosen agent. After nine black students were selected to attend Central High School, Miss Bates would be with them every step of the way. As a leader of the NAACP branch in Arkansas, Bates guided and advised the nine students known as the Little Rock Nine. Have you heard oh, of them? Oh, there, there's the reveal there's I was looking reveal. for. There's the reveal. Uh, advised the nine students known as Little Rock Nine when they attempted to enroll in 1957 at Little Rock Central High School, a previously all-white institution. The students' attempts to enroll provoked a confrontation with Governor Orville Faubus, who called out the National Guard to prevent their entry. The guard only Whoa. let right. Okay, so they're enrolling in school, but the governor brought the National Guard to prevent them from going in. How does that work if the school is enrolling them? Because the school, because due to like the federal law that was passed, the school can enroll them, but the governor doesn't support the desegregation of okay. these schools. So it's basically like a state versus a federal state thing. Versus, okay, I see. Where yep. the governor's like, yep. no, I don't want this to happen, even though Brown it's literally a law. Board of Education. Yeah, that was, yes, that's the one. Uh, the guard only let white students pass the school gate. Eight students out of nine were asked to go back home. A student called Elizabeth Eckford, who didn't receive the message from Daisy Bates the night before, no. met a mob when she was trying to find a, the other eight students in the morning. No. White mobs met outside of the school and threatened to kill the black students, and these mobs harassed not only activists, but also northern journalists who came to cover the story. In 1998, a spokeswoman for Bates said that Bates had felt guilty for her failure to notify one of the young ladies, Elizabeth Eckford, that they were delaying the entrance into Central High School. The family of the child had no telephone, and the father did not return from work until 3 a.m. So Elizabeth didn't know that she needed her parents to accompany her, and she also didn't know that she needed to gather with the other black students that morning. As a result, Elizabeth met the mob by herself when a kind reporter, Grace Lorch, took her out of the mob and guided her away from the bus station. So, I that I feel really bad. Like, imagine being one of those nine and going at it by yourself. Some of the bravest souls... Bates used her organizational skills to plan a way for the nine students to get into Central High. She planned for ministers to escort the children into the school, two in front of the children and two behind. She, sh she thought that not only would they help protect the children physically, but by having ministers accompany them would serve as a powerful symbol against the bulwark of segregation. That's also a quote. I don't use bulwark in a lot of my... And now we will. <laughs> what does it talk. mean? It's a, a wall. A defensive wall. Oh, so, so they'll serve as powerful symbols against the wall of segregation. Yeah, it's a noun. I did not, not realize Not an adjective? That. No, I definitely thought it was an adjective, but it is a noun. Um, language of origin is... I don't know. It doesn't say on Google. <laughs> um, okay, so they were basically like creating a wall against the wall of segregation. Bates continued... Wait, is that like a metaphor? No, she's saying that these the ministers are going to serve as symbols... Symbols. Against the wall of segregation that they're going up against. So yeah, I guess. Metaphorical wall, but also probably a wall of people that are trying to keep them out. Mm-hmm. Both? Cool. Um, I just with white people and wanting to build walls. I don't know. Fuck. Goddamn. I almost just said fuck them. Carpenter ass. <laughs> Are you talking about Jesus? 
<laughs> the carpenter? No, he's not white. No, but he was a carpenter. Sorry, Arkansas. <laughs> Jesus isn't white. Uh, fuck Arkansas. All right, Bates continued. Bates continued with her task of helping the nine enroll in school. She spoke with their parents several times throughout the day to make sure that they knew what was going on. She joined the parent-teacher organization, even though she did not have a student enrolled in school. She was persistent and realized that she needed to dominate the situation in order to succeed. Bates was a pivotal figure in that seminal moment of the civil rights movement. Osro Cobb, the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of Arkansas, refers in his memoirs to her accordingly. Miss Daisy Bates and her charges arrived at the school. With surprising ease, they were admitted through one of the less conspicuous entrances. Seconds later, a white female student climbed through the first story window and yelled that she wasn't going to school with a word I'm not going to say. Mm -hmm. The sweep of the television cameras showed a crowd that was calm. Many were smiling. None were visibly armed in any way. Things were moving so calmly that the cameramen were, the cameramen were observed staging some action. A black man was shown on film being kicked in the seat of the pants, but was told by authorities on the scene that this had all been staged. So, like, oh. it was supposed, it was actually a lot calmer than, like, a lot of people, whatever. However, um, there were, however, some eight or nine agitators known to the Federal Bureau of Investigation who were there for no good purpose but to create as much chaos as possible. These recruits did not come from Little Rock. They had no children in the school. They were provocateurs. They began to mount on car tops and scream to the crowd, let's get these, also word I'm not going to say, out of here. The agitators first tried to bully the police into defecting. Temperatures began to rise. The leaders of each assault on the police lines were collared and put into police wagons and taken to jail. More than 40 people were taken into custody. No one in the crowd tried to intervene to prevent the arrests and removal of the troublemakers. No one in the crowd had clubs or weapons of any kind. These two points convinced me that 98% of the people there were not part of this organized mob. So, like, so it was all... They were hired, basically. To come and start shit? Yeah, basically. Okay. To, like, incite a riot. Well, they were hot. Uh, yep. They were white. Yes. That's, yes. So, basically, like, a group of, he said, eight or nine people that were already known to the FBI that were not from Little Rock, that didn't have any reason to be there, went there solely to incite a riot. Fuckers. Daisy Bates's house became a national historic landmark because of her role during the desegregation of schools. Her house served as a haven for the Little Rock Nine. The planning of how desegregation would be carried out and the goals to implement were an important part of her role during the movement, and specifically, the house was a way to help achieve advocacy, advocacy for civil rights. Her house was an official drop-off and pick-up place for the Little Rock Nine before and after school every day. Because her house was an official meeting place, it became the center for violence and was often damaged by segregation supporters. The perseverance of Miss Bates and the Little Rock Nine during these turbulent, turbulent years sent a strong message throughout the South that desegregation worked. The tradition of racial segregation under Jim Crow would no longer be tolerated in the United States of America. The pandemonium at Central High School caused Superintendent Virgil Blossom to dismiss school the first day of desegregation, and the crowds dispersed. Uh, U.S. Duh. <laughs> she dismissed school. U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower intervened by federalizing the Arkansas National Guard and dispatching the one, 101st Airborne Division to Little Rock to ensure that the court orders were enforced. So, so uh, is Eisenhower, you said? Mm -hmm. He's pro-desegregation. Yes. Okay. Basically, he was like, fuck you using the National Guard to make these... Or not let these students into the school. The National Guard is federalized now, and now they're mine. Also, I'm sending the 101st Airborne Division in to make sure that these kids can go to school. 
So like, I'm taking your gun away and I'm bringing my way bigger gun. Fuck you. I'm the president. <laughs> Basically, that's how politics work. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, yeah. And sometimes, literally. Mm-hmm. Oh, unfortunate. I should have used a different metaphor. It's okay. I thought you were doing that I'm on taking away your small dick and I'm coming in with my big dick. Fuck you. And I'm going to absorb your little dick. Yep. <laughs> your little my dick is mine bigger. now. <laughs> the absorption being the transfer of the yes. National Guard. Yes. Um, boop-a-doo. The troops maintained order and desegregation proceeded. In the 1958-59 school year, however, public schools in Little Rock were closed in another attempt to roll back desegregation, and that period is known as the lost year in Arkansas. So basically, like, all of these students, left, like, lost a year of class because they kept closing the schools or they kept, like, just being fuckheads, so... Wow. Uh, the Little Rock City Council instructed the Little Rock Police Chief to arrest Bates and other NAACP what? figures. Why? Shh, because they're all white, I'm sure. She and the local branch president surrendered voluntarily. They were charged with failing to provide information about NAACP members for the public record in violation of a city ordinance. So basically, like, they just found some random thing and arrested them. Though Bates was charged a fine by the judge... The NAACP lawyers appealed and eventually won a reversal in the United States Supreme Court. In a similar case, the high court held that the state of Alabama could not compel the NAACP to turn over its membership list to state officials. So basically, they got arrested for this thing, and then a high, this high court was like, you can't fucking force people to, no, you're done, goodbye. In an interview with Bates, she says her most important contribution she made during the Little Rock crisis was the very fact that the kids went into Central. They got in. And they remained there for a full year. And that opened a lot of doors that had been closed to black people. Because this was the first time that this kind of revolution had succeeded without a doubt. And none of the children were really hurt physically. So well, that one girl got yelled at by the mom. But seemingly they were all okay. Well, um, physically. Emotionally. Yeah, physically. I'm sure they were all emotionally very bruised. Martin Luther King Jr. sent a telegram on September 1957 regarding the Central High School and the Little Rock Nine crisis. King's purpose was to encourage banks to adhere rigorously to a way of nonviolence, despite being terrorized, stoned, and threatened by ruthless mobs. He assured her, world opinion is with you. The moral conscience of millions of white Americans is with you. King was a guest of the Bateses in May 1958 when he spoke at the Arkansas AM&N College commencement. Soon after the commencement, King asked Daisy Bates to be the Women's Day speaker at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church later oh, in October. It's Martin Luther King Day today. It is. Uh, the same year that she was elected to be a speaker at the Baptist Church, she was also elected the executive to the executive committee of King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. I would just like to know, we know when Martin Luther King Day is. This uh, this episode isn't going to come out for like two oh, yes, a week yes, or yes, two. Yes, yes, yes. So we are While recording, recording it, it is Martin Luther it King Day. We know Martin that day. the day that this comes out is not Martin Luther King Day because today is Martin Luther King Day, which is January 21st. The Bates' involvement in the Little Rock crisis resulted in the loss of advertising revenue in the newspaper, which I mentioned earlier, so it was forced to close in 1959. In 1960, Daisy Bates moved to New York City and wrote her memoir, The Long Shadow of Little Rock, which won a 1988 National Book Award. This crisis showed the influence of local organizations, and Bates' action worked because the government started to have a reaction towards organizations like the NAACP. After the Little Nine crisis in Arkansas, Little Rock enacted ordinances that all organizations should disclose their membership list, such as the NAACP. So, like, they basically made it a law that you have to do it. No, I don't know why. 
Basically, that seems petty to me. <laughs> we arrested you for this and then you got it reversed. Uh, the Encyclopedia of Civil Rights in America records that in an opinion by Justice Potter Stewart, the court held that free speech included a freedom of association for expressive purposes. This freedom, the court believed, was threatened by the attempts of local government officials to obtain the membership list of the NAACP chapters. Bates moved to Washington, D.C. and worked for the Democratic National Committee. She also served in the administration of U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson, working on anti-poverty programs. In 1965, she suffered a stroke and returned to Little Rock. In 1968, she moved to the rural black community of Mitchellville in Dacia County, Eastern Arkansas. She concentrated on improving the lives of her neighbors by establishing a self-help program which was responsible for new sewer systems, paved streets, a water system, and a community center. Bates revived the Arkansas State Press in 1984 after Elsie Bates, her husband, died in 1980. In the same year, Bates also earned the Honorary Doctor of Laws degree which was awarded by the University of Arkansas Fayetteville. In 1986, the University of Arkansas Press republished The Long Shadow of Little Rock which became the first reprinted edition to ever earn an American Book Award. The former First Lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, wrote the introduction for Bates' autobiography. The following year, she sold the newspaper, but continued to act as a consultant. Little Rock paid perhaps the ultimate tribute, not only to Bates, but to the new era she helped initiate by opening the Daisy Bates Elementary School and by making the third Monday in February Daisy Gatson Bates Day, an official state holiday. Bates died in Little Rock on November 4th, 1999, mm -hmm. and filmmaker Sharon LaCruz produced and directed a documentary film about Bates, Daisy Bates, First Lady of Little Rock, which premiered in February 2012 as a part of the Independent Lens series on PBS. Nice. That's the end. I love finding people that I've never heard of before that, Same. like, really that contributed. That should right. be known. Right. That's awesome. Thank you for the story. Please. Thank you for your story. <laughs> This is fun. <laughs> Rate and subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Tell us more. Uh, you should know what you're listening to, but if you needed a reminder. Also, we have a, a fucking... No, yeah, we have also, a... Also, we have a podcast. <laughs> Are you aware? Also, we have an Instagram, and our name is Tell Us More Podcast. Give us a follow, and, you know, uh, email your answers to... <laughs> <laughs> tell us more podcast at gmail.com my brain went to email your ancestors <laughs> I was like I don't think you can do that email but. your ancestors use the bones of my dead ancestors mm -hmm. for your seance yep. and with that sayonara bye <laughs>